we'll do some review this morning and then touch on a few things at the beginning. But uh, let's just begin our time in a word of prayer and then we'll jump right into this so we can uh, do what we need to. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us this opportunity, Lord. It seems so needful for us. We, we need each other, and uh, it's great that we can be together. We thank you that, <clears throat> that you are sovereign and that we can trust you, Lord. We pray that we will and do trust you in all things. Lord, this morning as we just look briefly really at this uh, information that we have from your word on, on uh, discipleship, really discipleship in the home, but discipleship in a general sense as well. Lord, we pray that it would touch our hearts, that it would cause us to think differently <clears throat> about our relationship with you and our relationship with others and, and how we interact. So Lord, use this in our lives for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are talking about discipleship in the home. This started some time ago because uh, young families continue to come to the elders and say, we need to have a class on parenting. We need to talk about parenting and parenting children. But And we decided to do it as an adult Sunday school class because it really is more than that. It's more than just parenting. It's principles from Scripture that deal with discipleship. And discipleship is... Uh, most profoundly seen, I guess, if if we could even use those terms, in the home with the parent-child relationship as parents deal with life. And we began several weeks ago talking about our priorities as as parents, and really these are priorities as Christians, and that is uh, obviously, first of all, we need to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, committed to the one whom we say we believe. None of this will do anything. None of this will have any effect on us. Anything we read in Scripture has no effect if we really don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the Bible is, is given to us that we might know Jesus Christ and we might have a relationship with God Himself as He committed or as He created us to have. And so without a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, all of these just become moral platitudes, moral steps on a ladder of trying to become the best moral person that I can become or raise the most moral, civic-minded people that are around. And of course, if if our world and if the United States particularly is any indication of the utter failure of that, just open your eyes and watch what's going on in our day and age. The utter failure of anyone to try to apply moral according to their own definitions to their own lives and come up with something that is actually righteous. It just doesn't happen. But without a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll never accomplish any of these things. And of course, that brings in the whole home, the family, a commitment to the spouse. If we have a spouse in our home, some of us obviously are widows and widowers. Some of us are are unmarried and 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 have children, and so we have to have a commitment uh, to the spouse in the home, and that includes the roles that God indicates for the home, and that 
also includes a commitment to your family. And of course, all the, you, you've heard all this because this was all in lesson one. There's uh, the commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, commitment to the spouse, commitment to your family, and commitment to others. In other words, commitment to be serving. And then, of course, we got into lesson two. And I hope you're keeping those notes that you have, because once you're done, you'll basically have this entire thing in a notebook, and you can refer back to it. Uh, The second one was the parents' goals. What is our goal as parents, or what is our goal as disciplers? These are, you can substitute that name in any of these. What is our goal? And our goal is to just be faithful instruments in the hands of God. That is the goal of discipleship. We're going to talk a little bit about it today in the reference to producing things. Our goal is not to produce something. Our goal is not to get something. Our goal is not to have a product in the end. Although we desire those things, we desire that that there be outcomes that that bring glory and honor to God. That is not our goal. Our goal is simply to be a faithful instrument in the hand of God. To do what God has called us to do personally in relationship to Him as it comes about with all the other relationships that he has given us. And so that is our ultimate goal. And that is based upon God's view of man. You have to have a right view of man. Man is not inherently good. Man is inherently evil, bad, not good. Uh, The world doesn't think like that. The world thinks that if we just cultivate some kind of sense of self-actualization or some kind of sense of self-esteem and build one another up in their own self-love, then everything's going to be great. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Out of the heart flows the wellsprings of life. If you have wickedness at the root core from which everything flows, what's going to come out? Wickedness. That's it. That's all you're going to have. And so our goal of being faithful is based upon that reality, that man is inherently wicked, and therefore based upon that, our children in our home are just little reprobates given to us under the kindness of God in order for us to grow in our faithfulness to Him as we shepherd, as we interact with those whom He has given us to disciple. So that is our direction. That's kind of a, a really quick, if you will, uh, review of what has taken place in the first two lessons. Are there anything that you might have had on your mind that you didn't get answered last time we were together, or questions you might have in your mind this morning as we get started with lesson three? Uh, you notice the packet's quite large. We're not going to get through all that today, or at least that's not what I think we'll get through, um, just because there's a lot there. But is there anything, any questions you have? And by the way, just if you have something you want to interject into our time, please raise your hand or something so I get my attention. You know how I am. I'll just continue to go on and everybody will sit there and not say anything. But if you have something to say, please say it. So any any questions? Anything from right field, way over here in right field? Uh, nothing? Everybody's Everybody knows everything. You got it all. You you know everything. Well, if you know nothing, then you know everything, because I know nothing. 
All right. All right. Well, let's take our notes then and, and just begin to look at uh, number three. If you didn't get notes, they're in the back. They're on a seat. When you come in, you can pick up a package. <clears throat> okay. This morning, we're going to just begin to touch bases with our challenges as disciples or our challenges as parents, because there's going to be certain uh, challenges that we have when we strive to meet the directive that the scriptures tell us as parents, right? Ephesians 6, 4 is that, is that overarching verse that we've been dealing with, right? Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's Ephesians 6, 4. And, and, the, and we talked about that per, primarily, I think, in lesson two about the issue that the imperatives that are there in that verse, we it's not a static thing. We are to be active in that. We are to bring them up. In other words, we're not to let our children just be brought up. When it comes to discipleship relationships for Christians, discipleship is an iron sharpening iron kind of relationship. You don't just have a disciplee that you just let be. They're not going to be. This was part of the problem years ago with, with some of the uh, criticisms about the Billy Graham Crusades. Billy Graham Crusades, we all have heard of it, we all know it, right? You go there, you, Billy Graham would preach, talk about Jesus Christ, talk about sin, talk about repentance, have a, this altar call in which people would come and, and, and pro- profess Jesus as Lord. And, and I know people who actually got saved at Billy Graham Crusades, so I'm not saying everybody didn't get saved, but the, the deficiency was... There's no discipleship that happens with these people. Somebody comes to know the Lord, and they would say in a tacit way, okay, now you need to be involved in a church. Well, that's fine and and dandy. You need to be involved in a church, but I don't want you to be involved in just any church. I don't want somebody who has professed faith in Jesus Christ to go to a Catholic church. I don't want to go to a Mormon church, Jehovah's Witness Hall or whatever. I want them to be discipled. You can't just leave them out there. You wouldn't have a child and then just say, okay, raise yourself. No, it's an ongoing thing. And there's challenges in order to do that, in bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There are challenges. And and, uh, they're going to be described in, in in the form of general guidelines. These are just general guidelines that we as disciplers ought to keep in mind as we as we try to to put flesh, if you will, on this mandate of Ephesians six four to bring them up in discipline and instruction. This this idea that or this command that God gives us. How do we? How do we flesh that out? In order to do that, the first challenge that we're going to have is the same challenge that we have just in general in our Christian life, and that is to have the right motivation. Any, anybody here struggle with motivation? A few hands. A few people are awake this morning and aren't, you know. Yeah, motivation's hard. I'm sorry? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There are those that are struggling to just go, I don't know if I can do it. Motivation is tough, right? It's hard to keep motivated. Well, yeah. Here's, here's one of the motivations that we, that we 
oftentimes have as parents and as disciples. We are motivated by outcome. Right? This is one of the challenges. We have a real tendency as Christians, not only in our own Christian life, but particularly in relationships we have and relationships in the home where we have to raise our children or bring them up, we become only outcome-oriented, outcome-based, product-based. We're really pragmatic. Um, We oftentimes, and I think I said this a couple, maybe last time we were together, that good behavior does not necessitate a change of heart. In other words, what we might see on the outside doesn't mean there's any change going on on the inside or has been a change on the inside. And and this is outcome motivated. We have to avoid being motivated to do what we are commanded to do in order to produce some outcome. None of us would like to be labeled with the term pragmatic. You're a very pragmatic person. Right, we. It's kind of a negative term, right? Because pragmatism says this: if the end is okay. In other words, if the outcome, if the result, if the product is okay, then how I got there really doesn't matter. How it happened really doesn't matter. That's that's how the world thinks. It's pragmatism. But notice for a moment, go in the Old Testament to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers 20. It's a very familiar part of Israel's history. They're wandering through the desert. And of course... What do you need in the desert? You need water. They're thirsty. They're to trust God and His leading of them as they go through the wilderness. In verse 8, Moses is instructed to take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes. It's a pretty clear command of God. Here's what I want you to do, Moses. The people need this, you go and do this. Go here, gather the people, you and Aaron, take the rod of Aaron, speak to the rock that it may yield its water. And you shall thus bring forth water from out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had been commanded, And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly, verse 10, before the rock. And he said to them, listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock. Water came forth abundantly. The congregation and their beasts drank. And then that three-little-letter word that we all sometimes enjoy in Scripture and sometimes don't. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, 
because you have not believed me. Isn't that interesting? God said, Moses, here's what you're to do. Moses says, yes, Lord, looks like he's going to do it. And yet, out of his own heart, his own challenge, and his own struggle of sinfulness against the wicked people that he was called to lead who were irritating him. You ever been irritated by somebody like your kids? He says, all right, you people want to drink? We're going to give you something to drink, and he doesn't do what God says. And God says, Moses, God does what what he said he was going to do, right? God brings water out of the rock. And yet he says, Moses and Aaron, you didn't believe me. It was an issue of faith. It was an issue of faith. I said, this is what you do, and you let your sin get in the way of trusting me. You didn't believe me. He didn't believe me. You thought the end was what mattered. Just giving people drink out of the rock. You thought that was the issue. You thought that was the big deal. That wasn't the deal at all. The deal was showing the people that they should trust God. Mike? Well, whether whether the prophetic nature was in the heart and mind of Aaron, the text doesn't tell us that. The text just simply says what Moses and Aaron did. We obviously know from the New Testament that Christ is the rock, right? We we understand that, and and that there is a sense of prophecy here in light of what happened in the New Testament. Whether Aaron and Moses knew all those details, the text doesn't tell us, and it would be, I think, uh, a step of speculation to speculate that they did know that. All I'm saying here is that in the process of discipleship, in the process of leading these people, in the process of doing what God said to do, Moses and Aaron thought it, didn't think of it enough that what God was having them do had more to do with His holiness and with them exercising by way of example and discipleship that God is the one to be trusted. It wasn't about water coming out of the rock. It wasn't about even the thirst of the people. It was about no matter what's going on, God says how to do it, and the means through which he says how to do it is just as important, if not more important than the end. And this is what happens with us as parents. We think, right, oh, hold on a second. We think, oh, I have to, God has commanded me to bring my child up in the instruction and admonition of the Lord. 
And so by gosh, it's, it's more about the end result than it is about me teaching them who God is. Because you notice what this text says in verse 10. You didn't believe me to treat me as what? Holy. You didn't treat me as holy. You thought, in essence, that I was just like you. That my word really didn't matter. That what I told you and how I told you, eh, no big deal. We can adjust that. We can modify that. We can accommodate that to our own ways. Even my own rebellion, even my own heart against you, as, as angry as I am against you. We do that with our kids. Kids irritate us, challenge us, need to be brought up in instruction and admonition, and yet what do we do? We do something different. We do something different because it's about us. It's about appeasing my own little anger, my own little idiosyncrasy, my own little irritation, instead of trusting God and treating Him as holy. Because that might not mean, if I do that, that means I might not get what I want. And what I want, according to here, Moses, what Moses wanted was to show the people how irritated he was about them. That's not what God wants. Mike? That's why I was thinking on that because it's interesting how God chose the word believe rather than obey. Yep. And, and my point is going to be that we have to, as parents, in my opinion, having raised my children, hopefully I don't have to go through all of the young child testimony, but they have to believe that. Yeah, I would I would simply say they, they don't have to believe that in you. They have to believe what God's doing because that's what it's pointing to, right? I would hope that they would see Christ in me. I would hope that they would see that. But why? So that they would see Christ in me? So that they would see me as holy? See me as righteous? And ooh, hey, my daddy's such a godly guy. No. If that's the point, then, then, then guess what? I've created an idol who looks just like me. He looks just like me. I say I worship God, but I don't. I really just worship myself. Worship all of me. Because God says, look, you didn't treat me as holy, what? In the sight of the sons of Israel. He said, Moses, I, I deal with you individually. But I'm to be holy in your eyes, in their sight, so that they see me as holy. And the consequences for Moses were huge. I mean, he'd been leading the people in the desert. I mean, he'd been putting up with all the pain, all the struggle. And God says, yeah, in that one moment, you're not going to lead them into the land. I mean, wow. So it's a serious thing, folks, for us to remember that the means or the process is just as important, if not more important. The process through which God commands us to disciple 
is just as important, if not more important, than the end. I mean, I have heard it. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times from parents over the years. Talking about parenting on an individual basis, and they will say, I've done that. It didn't work. This happens in churches, by the way. Churches today. Churches today are saying, we don't do church discipline. We don't, we don't follow the commands of Matthew 18. That's really what they're saying. And here's the answer. Because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's frightening. That's frightening. That's pragmatism at its maximum end. And we do that as parents. Some ways... The process is more important than the end. It's critical for us to accomplish God's purposes, the process. God uses the process to accomplish the end. Who can tell me what James 1 talks about? What's James 1's about? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you what? Face various what? Trials. Because what? Is they produce in you, right? In the end, there's this production of wisdom. The means is important. Yeah, we all raise our hands with God in prayer and say, Lord, can't I go do it another way? Can't can't I just sleep on my Bible and wake up righteous the next day? I mean, wouldn't that be a lot easier, Lord? Yeah, yeah, it would be from our perspective, but that's not the means. That's not the means to the end. And so we're talking about shaping the heart, right? So God is not concerned with whether the methodology is working. He's not concerned with that, right? God is concerned with the heart attitude, the heart attitude of you and I as disciples, the heart attitude of us as Christians, the heart attitude of us as parents and the heart attitude of our disciples, our children, because it's a spiritual battlefield. It's not about outward results as much as we'd like that. I mean, this is part of the problem in evangelicalism today when it comes to evangelism and why you have so many easy believism kind of ideas when it comes to evangelism, because the end result is the issue, right? They Well, all I need to do is have somebody pray a prayer, say these magic words, whatever it is. Dude, if I can get them to that place, whatever it takes to get them to there, whatever sales pitch I need to give them, however we need to adjust the church, however comforting and accommodating we need to make the church in order that unsaved Harry and Mary will come in the doors and they will hear the gospel at some point and and give a decision for Jesus Christ. That's not what the Bible says. Mike. Yeah.
Well, and we want it easy, right? We want it easy. We don't want to have to have any sweat in it. We don't want to have to put our face to the ground and really work hard. We just want it easy. Everybody gets a trophy. Right? Everybody gets a trophy. Participation award. As long as we participate. As long as we're there. You know, that's the deal. But it's not that. It's spiritual warfare. Here's how Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. I was like, listen, you live in the world, but you're not to war according to how the world wars. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying what? Speculations. Every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. That's what we're destroying. We're destroying the foolish wranglings of foolishness out in the world, the speculations of the world. The Romans 1 mind that is darkened in its understanding and just spews off foolish things, even says it's wise even though it's a fool. That's what we're destroying. But we're not destroying it with our wisdom. We're not destroying it with our fleshly prowess to to have an argument that's so laid out that, that they have no answer for it. That's not what we're doing. That doesn't win the day. What wins the day is the Word of God. What wins the day is proclaiming what God said. It's spiritual warfare. We can't make enough arguments that in the end it will produce the result that God wants. We just have to follow what God says. Do what He says. And this is what God desires of us. This is what God desires of parents. To be faithful to the process. Be faithful to what He has outlined for us in the Scriptures. His process always includes the right motivation. In fact, we could even say His process is part of the right motivation. His process. So you need to ask yourselves when it comes to parenting, what is my motivation? When I'm dealing with whatever issue that has come up in the relationships I have in my home with my kids, my discipleship relationships, what is my motivation? Do you choose to do what you do in whatever situation it is because you're outcome-oriented or because you're God-honoring oriented. Because when we all stand before the Lord, folks, we, we say this to ourselves, we know this, when we stand before the Lord, He's not going to say, hey, listen, you know, I got a few things with you, but those kids of yours, man, you did a great job with them. They both professed, they all professed me. Yeah, I know, they're Matthew 7 ones. They never knew me, I never knew them, but they professed me, they acted good on the world. Not going to say that. You say, Did you honor me? Your life an honor to me? Your motivation that I would be honored? Were you simply faithful to that 
See, we have to distinguish between what are the right and wrong motivations. And we need to have the right motivation, but we need to distinguish between what are the right and wrong motivations. And, and, and I want to just talk about the first one, right? Here, here it is. Pleasing God versus pleasing self. We've touched on it. Pleasing God versus pleasing self. Uh, we heard this passage when we were preaching through it some time ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So how many things in your life does that cover? So how many things in your life do you let it cover? You see, we read verses like that, don't we? I mean, this is, this is how I think about the Bible. We read verses like that. We go, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do it all the glory of God. We shut our Bible and we go away and we do relatively nothing to the glory of God. Because we turn around in our parenting or we turn around in other ways and, and it's not to the glory of God. We're actually just simply pleasing ourselves, And yet the right motivation is to the glory of God, is to be the glory of God. That's the higher motivation than our own personal happiness. That's what it's to be. Our personal happiness is not on the rung when it comes to to serving God and honoring God to His glory. Has God ever allowed anything in your life that has obstructed your own personal happiness? Anybody? Does He do that? Does He do that? Has the last seven weeks obstructed your personal happiness? I mean, it has me. It's revealed all kinds of things in me about my own heart. Because God is obstructing my own personal happiness. You say, guess what? It ain't about your personal happiness. In fact, it's not about you at all, pal. You little dust on the scale of nothingness. No. Right. And that's what I guess is the, like the main teaching about exactly what you're saying. It's about the joy of God allowing God to trust in him to perfect you in anything he chooses to do. And that's hard because that gives you it means you don't give yourself up. And your happiness isn't as important as the joy that you're going to anyway. Yeah, and, and what was that's an interesting thing to to kind of piggyback on this, right? Because Mike's talking about First uh, Peter, right? For the joy set before him endured the cross. Christ Christ didn't revile and return, as First Peter, but Christ in Hebrews, right? For the joy set before him endured the cross. What was that joy? The glory of the Father. 
the glory of the Father, the honor of the Father. So it wasn't even about Christ. It wasn't even about what he'd get back. It was about what, how, how the Father would be seen. All glory goes to the Father. See, but we, we, we don't do that. We, we subtly at times say, yeah, I'm, it's all for the joy set before me because of what I'm going to get. Man, what's coming to me is far better than this. We don't think about the glory of the Father. We don't think about the glory of Christ. We think about us even in that. This is the heart. This is what happens with our heart. This is why it's so hard for us to give up. To let God be God in everything. Because we interject ourselves just like Moses did. We are right there. And our motivation is about us. It's about us. And we convince ourselves about God. It's really about us. Really about us. That means when we when we're parenting our kids, I can't see my kids as a gift from God only for my personal happiness. I people say, oh, children are a gift from the Lord. Happy is a man who's got a quiver full of them. Right? We quote that verse. We quote it because we, for whatever reason, we quote those verses for our own satisfaction. And yet, you think God gives us those kids for us. They're for our happiness. They're for me. So if it's interrupting my happiness, if it's interrupting my level of comfort, if it's interrupting my day, my moment, and man, everything else is going down. I'm gonna, I'm snapping heads because you interrupted my TV show. You interrupted my dinner. You interrupted whatever it is. That's not going to happen. Yeah, uh, we'll um, we'll certainly get into into 
processes of training, things like that, and and maybe things we've done, like that example you gave, to try to help our kids. In in all of it, regardless of what it is, again, the end goal is the same, right? It's not, it's not the product. In other words, when my children lied, it was very serious, right? God hates liars, the Bible says. It was always very serious in our home to 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 be hopefully truth tellers. Um and yet at the same time, I didn't want my children being a truth teller just so that, that I could say they tell the truth or that they could be a viable citizen in society. I want them to tell the truth because it honors God. Not because it honors me. You see, the goal always has to be him. Always. Can't be me. In any kind of way. It has to be God, or I've robbed God of the glory that's due Him and Him only. And that's hard because it's we can be doing things for all the right reasons, or at least seemingly right reasons, and yet the end result is not the glory of God. The end result is puffing myself up. It's that there's a, there's a battle always processing. We gotta process. It has to be the glory and honor of God. So when my children disobey, the problem is not in their disobedience, my happiness being interrupted or my happiness uh, changing because discipline, if I discipline them from a selfish motive to get my happiness back, which is selfish, that doesn't honor God. I can't sin in my, in my nurture and admonition, assuming that God will honor my sinfulness. God's going to honor his name, just like he did in Exodus, where he gave water out of the rock. He did what he said. But he still held Moses accountable for his sinfulness. So I can't, I have to honor the Lord no matter what. Um, and occasionally we can view training of our children simply as an inconvenience. Right? I can't believe I got to do this again. It's an inconvenience. I can't believe they never get it. I told them 15 times. How many times do I have to tell you? I mean, that's, that's right in the parent's handbook, isn't it? I mean, that's part of the phraseology we learn. How many times do I have to tell you that? Well, I don't know, but you got to tell them this time. It might be a thousand more. I don't know. How many times does God have to tell us? A thousand? A hundred thousand? A lifetime of times before we go, okay, Lord. And we still do it wrong? And Jesus was saying to the disciples all the time, how long am I going to be with you? I mean, he wasn't saying that out of sinful frustration. That's how we say it. You know, how long do I got to be with you, you dumb imbecile? I mean, that's what we say. And what we're saying is, listen, if you were like me, you'd be really smart. You'd know, you'd get it, because I really am smart. Now get get out of my way. Get doing what I tell you, because my happiness is more important than you. More important than God's holiness. More important than you knowing God. More important than you seeing God in my life. 
Can't believe I missed that last scene of the program I've watched so often. We can't view training that way. It's not an inconvenience. You ever said these things to yourself? You ever think these things? I don't deserve this. You ever said that about a trial in your life that God brought? I don't deserve this. I mean, Lord, after all that I've done for you. (laughs) You ever said that? I have the right to problem-free children. (laughs) (laughs) You ever think in your own mind, I expect my child, especially my oldest child, to not be picking on his younger siblings? Ever think like that? Yeah. How long is it going to go on, Lord, with these children you gave me? (laughs) It's hard to admit. But that's the attitude of our heart at times. When God's allowing our children to infect our happiness, the little society of happiness that we've created within the four walls of our home, some of you guys work outside the home. Some of you commute distances to work. You ever get home thinking on your drive home, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to get home, sit down. Oh, it's going to be nice. Finally in a warm place or whatever. It's wintertime. And you get home and it seems like all chaos is happening. You're like, really? i just go back out and drive again. I don't want to have to deal with this. That's what the Lord does. The Lord's trying to help us see our happiness isn't the issue. It's never convenient, never easy. Rarely, in fact, easy or convenient. So we have to view problems. We have to view problems. And, and, it's, and it doesn't matter what stage of life it is, whether it's infants, older kids, toddler, whatever. They get out of the house. Now they're, the, now they're no longer under your direct care. Now you're in more of a coaching idea with your, with your kids. And then you're in a church and you're, a, a, you're serving in the church and you're dealing with other people in the church and you're dealing with ministry in the church and all these kind of things. It's all the same. We have to see problems, not as problems, but as opportunities. Opportunities. There are opportunities for teaching. There are opportunities for training so that God will be glorified as God. They're not for our own pleasure, and that's hard. That's hard. Notice 2 Corinthians 5.9, just another passage to kind of have in your, you know, put it to memory, whatever. Second Corinthians five nine. Therefore, also we have as our ambition. Is this our ambition? Whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Paul talking about his ambition as a minister of Christ, whether he's in his local community or whether he's out in some other community. So home there doesn't mean your your actual home, but but I think by implication you could put that there. We're amb- well, this is our ambition. This is our drive. This is who we are. This is what a Christian is, whether we're at home or whether we're somewhere else, to be pleasing to ourselves. No. Pleasing to Him. 
to Him. Why? Verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. You know what that means? That means that your parenting is part of your Christian duty in the body of Christ. It's part of it. You're going to answer for it, whether what he's done, whether it's good or bad. Paul says, to have that mindset is the fear of the Lord. You see that in verse 11? Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. That, that's what he's equating that all to. We please him, whether home or absent. We're pleasing him all the time. Why? Because that's fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord, doing what God said. Honoring Him, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the pain, regardless of the struggle, regardless of the outcome, regardless of the potential outcome, just please Him. And who's our greatest example of that? Christ, right? Christ, I do only the will of the Father. That's what Christ said. Don't go to Jerusalem, Jesus. I mean, they're going to kill you. I must go. I must go. Why? It's the will of the Father. The will of the Father. Is that happening in the hearts of the people today in the church? Serve the will of the Father no matter what? Is that happening? Or is it not happening? Have you got any examples? Anybody want to say anything? Everybody's too scared to say anything? The big elephant in the room is right there and nobody wants to talk about it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, social media can be a problem. It's but but social media is not a problem. Social media is just an avenue that exposes the heart of well, sinfulness right. in all of us, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. the The bigger issue is God sees it. God owns the social media. He created everything. He sees it all. I hear what you say. I, I know what you're going to say before you even say it. I know the thoughts of your mind. I, I, I hear it all, God says. Whether anybody else ever hears it, whether you ever put it out there, God hears it. God sees it. And so we're making choices. We are making choices based upon whether we believe what God said or not whether he's holy to us or not. We're making choices. And each situation is based, it needs to be based upon what will please the Lord, 
Not what will please me, not what will do me good, not what will protect me. What will please the Lord? That's how we are to make our decisions. In every situation. So when someone says, well, I did that with my child. I've done that. It didn't work. That doesn't matter doesn't matter. Is you doing what God asked you to do pleasing to the Lord? That's the issue. That's the issue. But I don't want to do that because that means it may never get fixed in my child, and that's really what I want. I want my child or want my disciple, whatever. I want them to do so I don't have to deal with that anymore. Now, we ought to see that really as a heart revealer of us more than a problem with them. We cannot do things based on what works, what makes us feel comfortable, what other people might tell us works, what's going to stop them from doing whatever it is that's bothering us, what's easiest for us. We can't, we can't, we just can't do things because of that. That's subjective. You want to do what's objective, concrete? Do what God says to do, what pleases Him, whether or not your child ever responds to it or not. Whether or not a disciple ever responds. Preach the Word of God in season and out, whether anybody ever comes to know Christ or not. It's not about anything else. It's just about honoring God. That's what our life is to be. That's the first motivation. We're going to please God, please ourselves.